Denver Live. Well, 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 welcome, Graham. Welcome to The Real Talk. Rob, finally, finally. getting here to come and see your, your studio. Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's such a pleasure to be here. It really is. Thank you so much for coming in. As I said, I mean, just to go back, I mean, two years ago was the first time we met. Yeah, we remember saying this morning, yeah. this is only the second time we've met in person. But what an interesting observation that we built this digital virtual relationship over the last couple of times since we first met at what an ERA conference, it, right? It's unbelievable how the world has changed in the industry of digital. You know, as I said, we're the... the the pandemic was when we walked into because right before we met, right before we went to full yeah, lockdown. Exactly. It was end of February of it 2020. Was days before the lockdown, lockdown began. Lock, but, yeah. but I think it sort of goes to show, I think it's a good indicator that, you know, you can build a virtual relation. You can build a digital-based relationship because I feel like we've known each other for a lot longer than <laughs> two years, put it that way, you know. So, you know, for, for building relationships with customers, you don't, you don't have to go to see them to make it happen. No, you don't have to. And we really learned that because we, as I said, the resiliency that we have with the technology that we do, again, this technology wasn't revolutionary. It's been around for five, six years, FaceTime, all the yeah, things we had. It just was there. We weren't using it to its you know, potential. And uh, as I said, the pandemic, 2020 was the start of the technology revolution for everything in the world of how we went into it. And I know we all talked about pivoting, changing, shifting, right, all these right. words we use to yeah. get into that process. But we could look, we're two years out, basically almost two years, and the world has really changed. Yeah. Our well, businesses have changed. You know the phrase, yeah. need is the mother of invention. The technology was always there. We just had to figure out how to use it. How to use the need and bring it to, to um, I mean, yeah, bring it to surface and, and utilize yeah. it um, to, to, to potential. But, well, I mean, what is the world that's changed? I mean, you come here from Lectrix. I mean, again, can you tell a little, a little bit about exactly what Lectrix does and uh, your little background about you? Yeah, sure. I know you know, but maybe yeah. some of your, your viewers don't. So Lectrix is a digital marketing agency for the electronics industry. That's uh, that's all we do. We don't we don't work for anybody outside of electronics. And uh, our claim to fame is that we turn marketing into customers. Yep. Simple as that. We're very measurement based, very data based, very ROI focused. That's really what Electrix does. Yeah, I mean, I can say is from the point we met. I mean, going back to that, what you guys do is remember we met. You were putting on a um, a breakout session at that's ERA. Right. That's and right. I was in the audience with a bunch of other, you know, salespeople and executives and people in there. And I had a question for you. And then you came to me and you remembered me and you're like, you're Rob Tavi. You're like, and then you told everybody, cause I didn't know. Cause remember I I created a video. Ah, yes. Now I remember. That. And your I'm memory's like, better than mine. Yeah. Mom. Right. <laughs> and you're like, you're Rob Tavi. And you're like everybody in this room. Cause you're going about, you know, social media and presence and LinkedIn and process. You were going yep. over that. That was just the start of your presentation to tell everybody how to be more socially forward, building a brand in that process. So that was just, I the, remember now you had produced a very short 30 second video it was your first visit to the ERA yeah. conference, and you did such a great job of just letting people know you were there, being welcoming, very authentic. And I saw this video on my LinkedIn feed because I think ERA shared yeah. it. I didn't know you at the time, so you weren't in my yeah. LinkedIn feed. And I was like, hey, now that's the way to get to know people digitally. Yeah. And you did it. Hey, can you, I mean, so when you sat in the audience, I knew exactly who you were. 
it's I look back I'm like again you know for coming over some of that fear because again we get uncomfortable in some of those things and that was my era of 2019 2020 to try to get more digital because you know a lot of my friends from how that came a lot of people I knew or my my ecosystem I go like you travel over the world you see all these places and countries and factories why don't you put it on video why don't you yeah. show people what you do? Like kind of vlogging, the vlog. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, I'm not a vlogger, but I'm like, okay. But I started doing it and getting comfortable as everything is like the camera was, I was so intimidated by it, you know, looking into it. You know, I was visiting a client earlier this morning yeah. here in Southern California, Rob, and uh, the VP of marketing had this great phrase. He said, we have so many great stories untold. Mm-hmm. We all have them. You've got travel stories. Everybody's got some kind of story that's untold. And all these tools are here now available to us, you know, tell your story, man. I mean, we can all do it. And it's such a great way to break the ice with a customer or get the awareness out of your capabilities, whatever the goal is. You nailed it right there because that's how the real talk started because everybody has a story. It just needs to be told. And that's what my objective was in the beginning is to do 70%, you know, industry, 30% lifestyle, and other things that I'm interested in. Yeah. And I've done probably over 50 plus of actual long form podcasts, which are, really, yeah. And we've produced them and done it. And through every, it's like reading 50 books, you know, and I've learned so much and I've built relationships and through the process of understanding what to do. And also it helped me guide myself and also leading a company to what we're doing in the future. Cause we learn from eat, we take something from each, each guest I bring on, uh, and it's been very fascinating. Well, that's what I like about your real talk show. I mean, it was very, still is, very innovative. Nobody in the industry was doing this. Um, but in one of these 15, 20-minute shows, mm-hmm. exactly the way you put it, I feel like I've just read a book. Like, okay, there's a nugget there I can take away. I can apply that. Mm-hmm. I can do something with it. You know, I'm a slow reader. What about you, Rob? But it takes me weeks to read books. Well, it comes because I, I kind of have ADD or you know ADHD. Is like I can read two pages sometimes, and my mind's somewhere else. And then how to keep focused yep. on it, you know? Yep. And um, I core. I mean, I there's I have some weaknesses, but those weaknesses I turn into strengths and somehow turn it, you know, back of how I can use that energy uh, into process. And the video has really elaborated me to connect with more people. Again, mm. we're talking about the connection. The last two years, I've connected with more people. And last two years than I have in the last five years. I have no doubt. You I'm know, sure you have. And, and just and this by show has really taken off. Yeah, just by touching them and and reaching out and again having humility and just being yourself. It's not. I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here just to elaborate, have deep dip, uh, discussion about what topics are, what's happening in the industry, what's going on, and how can we share and collaborate together to make a better ecosystem of electronics components, distribution, manufacturing, and supply chain. Yeah, I know. I've watched multiples of these shows. I don't know if I've watched all 50, <laughs> but I've watched a lot of them. And and I always know that now that I've watched, you know, a dozen, 20 of them probably, I know I'm going to come away with that one nugget. Like, this is going to be worth my 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to get something out of Rob's show. Always do. <laughs> yeah. Always do. So, you know, I want to jump back to with the last two years. I mean, of course, you are a foot soldier front store of all the marketing digitalization that's happening with your customers. I mean, you're mm-hmm. one of the leading companies in our industry. And really, what have you seen? I'm going to get from your firsthand experience. What has transitioned? What have you seen in industry in the last two years? Yeah. Well, I knew you were going to ask me this question, yeah. Rob. So, you know, the flip side of yeah. digital is I still have a paper side of me. I don't know if the camera can see no, my notebook. So I find flying times as I was coming from Philadelphia over to the West Coast this week, sat down, one page, stream of consciousness notes, and it really made me realize what we have seen mm-hmm. in the last two years. Of course, it's all driven by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with 
five key things I've seen that maybe you've not noticed. Yeah. Okay, everybody noticed that everybody has noticed that we've doing a lot more Zoom meetings. That's very obvious. But I thought about four or five things which are maybe still a little under the radar for some people. Some of them are, are trends, and hopefully and I can illuminate on those. So we can go through these five things. I knew you were going to well, ask that's, me Let's rock and roll. You know, right. as I said, my, my curiosity leads me, and I love to be curious to what you say because I know there's an underlying thing, underlying processes that some people don't see because you dive deep dive into the data. You dive into data and you analyze it, which allows you to see different perspectives that the standard surface level, macro level, what should allow you to see. Well, Electris has about 15 to 20 clients right now. So we're seeing real time every single day what's happening in the front line for these com largely component manufacturers. One of the most recent ones, if we go for number one, is um, I'm sort of calling this a shift to this real time virtual relationship. Not just the Zoom meeting, which is 60 minutes and done. I'm talking 24-7, like round the clock. And one of the tools that's facilitating this is Microsoft Teams. Yeah. And you can do it in lots of other platforms. So I'll give you an example. So we have a bunch of clients, okay? Um, as we're developing marketing plans with them, and you can take that idea and, and sort of translate that into the component world. Let's say you're application engineer is working with a customer's design engineer instead of there just being these series of meetings which begin and end we're now using microsoft teams for example to create a real-time instant message based chat thread which has proved enormously powerful because it allows for example people who can't make every meeting to catch up on what's being said it allows the team on both sides, this whole idea of collaboration, which has become mm -hmm. so valuable, to store information like, oh, I found a video that supports the design that we're working on, or I found this document, or I found these statistics. It all gets shared. Or even after the Zoom meeting is over or the Teams meeting is over, the design engineer said, you know, remembers something, wants to share it with the team, and this thread is just ongoing. It's just very, very collaborative process. It's 24-7. and it, it just creates a much more richer relationship. Mm -hmm. And the end results are so much better because we're capturing everything, not just what you get out of a 60-minute yeah. Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting. So number one, I'd say, is this shift to this real-time virtual relationships. And that's growing now. Yeah, Let's I mean, I got to give a, uh, kudos to Microsoft for creating. And it, I just said it's it's enhance that system so well to allow for more more calculation not yeah. just internally but externally it has features and process just like you say you're doing webinars or process you can record them you can cut them up you can do surveys between it you can do all types yeah. of things that's allowed us to have more collaboration with the parties with your clients um, with internal team members external everything we want to do and it's really allowed us to actually be more forward-thinking yeah and it makes a much more of a transparent yeah. process as well it's you know Zoom meeting is great, you know, it creates focus, that's good. But, you know, sometimes we solve problems when we're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And you go, wait, I just I just thought of something. Well, that's probably not going to happen in the middle of a, t of a Zoom meeting, yeah. right? Like, I'm going to go to the thread, and in this thread group, of course, you're going to have your team and the customer's team. Mm -hmm. And it just gets captured. It's like, I thought of this, I just want to get it down on paper, virtual paper, 
Right. And then we'll come back to it at some later point. It's a great way to capture the best of the conversations. I 100% agree. Because again, I mean, I can break down the fundamentals. I think it first started with Slack. Slack, give it to Slack. Slack actually started that type of collaboration. They did. Teams, Microsoft, the competition came in. Exactly. uh, But overall, but I agree because you can keep history. You have notes. Just so you can say, sometimes you don't think of everything. And that collaboration, because that channel last i mean it could last forever and you can always build on top of it and ref- reference to it and go back with those interested parties to work on coming to a solution or possible solutions for their you know to get the end result yeah yeah it is uh, without a doubt um the second thing i've noticed mm-hmm. is the, the word is omni-channel one word if you google the word omni-channel you're going to find the word marketing attached to it most likely by omni-channel we just mean lots of channels, lots of means and mediums to get to the customer. And the pandemic sort of created this trend. What I'm talking about is I'm seeing brands now adopt marketing strategies which reach out to the customer in more than just one way, mm-hmm. you know, more than just email or more than just um, uh, phone calls. There's more example. touch points, as you would say. Lots more touch points. Omnichannel means multiple channels, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, if I'm just looking at my notes here what i'm seeing is clients now they're still using email but email's gotten overblown during the pandemic because people weren't traveling and they relied on it too much yes you've got the virtual meetings linkedin messaging i use linkedin messaging just to get a quick answer from somebody i might wait three days well that's how we got this going because i know you probably sent an email i got somewhere and you just shot me a linkedin message and i'm like hey graham i got it then i realized oh he did send me an email i never really didn't see it because we get bombarded we're inundated with emails i'd forgotten perfect example (laughs) um go back to the team's instant message thread that's another form of omni channel um lots more content posting so brands are taking this omni-channel approach, which is great. It's the only way you're going to break through the noise. Mm-hmm. You've got to be present in multiple places for the customer to even recognize that you're there. So that's that's a very much a pandemic trend that's that's still growing. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. It's funny you say omni because there's also now is the omniverse, which is NVIDIA is going with with the omni metaverse. But yep. omni is this term now that's coming out, the, the omni channel, the marketing, because there's multiple, it's multifaceted. It's multiple heads in the process of the touch points you do between the marketing side. And I agree. Today, it's all about building, again, building brand and awareness than just selling, selling, selling. Totally. Building awareness totally. of building credibility, thought leadership, sharing content. Because, you know, we can, you know, like I said, LinkedIn is where our ecosystem lives. And where it's not really on the social media side. We could be there, but it's really where we live. But you don't want to keep pushing, as I said, is there's there's a a formula. You don't want to keep pushing basic sales, sales, sales content. You want to also put awareness stuff. Things that interest you. Because we're all human. and, And everybody out there likes to do business with humans, not with a digital format. So you compose some personal stuff or some achievements or some things because that builds rep, a credibility, reputability, and people remember stuff sub, like subconsciously because if you post something that you accomplish something or something, have family, their company did something, our next conversation we might have is like, hey, Graham, oh, I saw you posted that. It creates conversation. But again, that conversation could lead to opportunity. Right, you never know. Simple conversation. It's it's as you say, it's multifaceted marketing. In sales, marketing is so multifaceted, and they're so connected today than ever, because again, back in the traditional ways, marketing was its own department and sales, and somehow exactly. they had to coordinate and they had to come together. Had to come end. together, and today they are more together than ever. Well, one of the other benefits yeah. of this omni-channel strategy yeah. approach that's 
really emerging quite strongly now is back to what you're saying about human. If you think about it, let's say you've got email, text, voice, phone calls, in person, mm-hmm. social media. Those are like six of the major pieces of an omni-channel strategy. You might not be a big email guy, Rob, mm-hmm. and the fact that you missed my first email yeah. tells me that you're not a big email guy, but you're clearly a big LinkedIn guy because you did respond. So if you're reaching out to half a dozen stakeholders at company X, they're not all going to respond to email. Yeah. You've got to have this omni-channel approach because people have preferences, mm-hmm. and it's just human nature. So that's the other that's the other aspect yeah. of the omni-channel approach that's emerging. I 100% agree because you have to you're building that, and just like you mean, there's a lot because amazing how many touch points there are. But that touch touch points for any company or any person because companies there's a brand, but the personal is a brand who's to build that brand and awareness and subconsciously be in people's mind when you have an issue or a product that they can help with. And that's because back in the traditional ways, these companies buy billboards, buy wall space, buy mm-hmm. everything. Why? Because yeah. subconsciously you keep seeing Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola or Pepsi, whatever it is, you know, all these things, right. Samsung or whatever it is. You see it everywhere. So subconsciously, when you want to go as a consumer to procure something, the first thing is, oh, Coke, I see, you know, it's just like some reason you want it because you see so much marketing for it. Right. And these are, and so, or you, you, you get curious about it because you want to learn more. What is this about? Or someone touches you. So these are, it's funny is how that traditional marketing has morphed into what it is today that it, it is so You're right. This omni channel right. that we're correcting that yep. we're just subconsciously implanting seeds all the way around. But the other the one that board. I missed in that yeah. uh, frame of thought is sponsorship. You don't yeah. see sponsorship as much these days. And probably because people associate sponsorship mm-hmm. with live events. Yeah. That's yeah. probably why. But but I see sponsorship coming back yeah. in a way virtually for exactly the reasons you're saying, just the frequency of visibility of yeah. the name and the brand. And that's been missing, but I, but I think that's probably going to come back. Yeah, I feel like it's just going to it's going to improve. It's been more strategic. Again, we're much more data centric than ever. Mm-hmm. So these data points we're going to measure of what is it improving? What interaction is there? Who's touching it? We can read it all. And that's why this omni-channel, each one of these points, you can measure the inputs that's and it. outputs of it. So it now all, each one has measurability. Each one has measurability. So we know what's working and what's not. And we know where we can also sometimes track where that lead exactly came from. Because yep. sometimes the hardest thing is people ask is, how did you find us? How did you find me? Or how did you get to me? We never sometimes ask that question. We we get so far ahead of it. And sometimes I ask my salespeople, it's like, where does lead come from? How is it generated? You ask this this question, what where did they find us? Did they find us on Google? Did they find us on this platform or this platform? And these are some of the simple questions that sometimes we totally forget to ask. Well, I'm glad you brought this yeah. up because there's a piece of research by Forrester. And if anybody wants okay. it, I'll find it and send it to you. What, what they explain is it's the sum effect of being omnichannel that cr- pushes the prospect over the tipping point of reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. So when you ask a customer, hey, how did you find us? And they say, oh, I filled in a form on your website. Mm-hmm. What they're not, they're not really answering your yeah. question. They're telling you how they contacted you, but they're not telling you all of the things that happened prior to that. I saw your sponsorship. Yeah. I saw your advertising. Yeah. I saw you on LinkedIn. You reached out to me over email. Mm-hmm. All of these things brought me to the point of filling out that form on your website. Omnichannel is the is the true definition of synergy. It's the sum of all parts creates the larger effect. And that's really the answer that we're trying to get from our customers. But most of the time, the, the, the answer you'll get is the last thing they did, not everything they saw. 
Yeah, you're right. It's the journey they took. Exactly. And we asked about how did you find us. I find it, but what was the journey you took? And sometimes I mean, I've never asked anybody. What was the journey to find us? Sometimes you could do DNA search backwards to your websites. Okay, yes. they went through this, 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 and this, and they got here from this web address, for example. But that's a lot of the time they won't remember. They won't remember it. You know, right. so it, it, it's tough. It's tough it's to tough. find it. But as I know yourself and your and your and your company, these are things I know you bring awareness to the to your clients. Yeah, what we need to do and what are some of the inputs for this omni when you present this omni channel to them what are some of the questions that they have what are the things that they oh we're already doing this or we already do this this doesn't work how do you you know go and educate them and enlighten them about some of this yeah um you know the first thing that comes to clients mind is or if we're going to be doing a lot of everything that sounds like it's going to be expensive yeah. um so we sort of guide them into this idea of this is going to be more surgical than mm -hmm. shotgun um, there's still a strategy to it. It's not, the message is not, hey, do everything. Yeah. Um, it's really understanding in a surgical way, where do your prospective customers hang out? Mm -hmm. um, so on channel, even if you break it down on the media side, they may be on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. they may be on Reddit, they may be on DesignSpark, yeah. they may be on any number of industry-related platforms and groups. You see, you've really got to sort of, the, take the concept, but then bring it down to something that's manageable for their team, number one, mm -hmm. and secondly, manageable within the budget. And once you sort of get down to the specifics, most people understand that the combined effect is better than any one, you know, individual approach. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it is, again, some of the basics, a lot of companies weren't really marketing companies before. So they're really sales driven, right? True. So Very it's true. coming in and, and educating about the sales and everybody wants to know about marketing. How are we digital marketing? How can we do this? How can we get this? I see this online or this company's doing this and give you examples. Can we do this? We want to be in front of this. But it, it's sometimes one thing it is, is for companies is, is the consistency wins. It's consistency. And it's yep. not just training the salespeople to be consistent. It's also the, the whole management team that this is a long process. This is a journey we're getting into. You're not going to get maximum ROI tomorrow or next month so it might true. take three to six months or sometimes a year so of true. planning to start building that platform and that and that inroads of, of the um i would say the funnel to start funneling in the exact i would say dna of the customer you need or the, the client or the customer consumer you need. and sometimes that's a little difficult yeah. to accept when when you're dealing with an, an engineering mm -hmm. based management team who really like things to be ones and zeros. Yeah, yes. <laughs> we're saying it's a combined effect. It's going to take a long yeah, time. Yeah. They're going to say, well, this sounds a little bit foggy to me, Graham. Yeah. How's that going to look? So really the other way to do this is benchmarking. Yeah. So we say, look, trust us. We know this works. Let's put a baseline set of numbers mm -hmm. down today. Let's set a milestone for 90 days, 180 days. And if we're right, you'll see this number move up X, Y, and Z. And then I think it, in an engineering world, which we live in, I think they become a little bit more accepting of like, okay, we can do this for six months. Yeah. We're not, as you said, we're not going to get to full ROI in maybe yeah. three, six months. That might be 12 or even 24 months. But, but you can plot milestones. And then it, then it becomes a little bit more digestible and acceptable for, for the world we live in. Yeah, that's the one thing. If, when you get to man, that's when I would break down because I know you probably um, face these challenges or these questions from your clients is, What's my ROI? Everything's about ROI. Like, what's my All return of my investment, right? All like, ROI. But sometimes you can't measure it, right? It sometimes can't mm -hmm. be measured to the point that that's the thing that people say with, you know, I give it to my example is people are like, why do you do all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I spread awareness. I do it. It's not a sales, but I build awareness and branding at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that's there. I can't really indirectly measure the ROI, but again, I sometimes build. I get opportunities to sit at the table that I never did before. At the end of the day, I need to ask for opportunities. I yep. need to, or a door opens that I never seen, and I can sit there and say, "Hey, how are you guys doing?" And introduce them because I build brand awareness, I build credibility. People know me. I do share information about myself, and you know, I have humility to say I'm not perfect. I am who I am. Right, but. You become likable, and it's easy to get into the conversation. Like I said, two years ago when yeah. you started this, was it two years ago when when did Real it was, Talk? It was it was Real Talk actually started in March. No, officially for the podcast didn't start till probably May of twenty twenty. But okay. my videos started nineteen, and I actually did the video in. Uh, I did the year right. video ERA so too. Year, yeah. You did yeah. year and a half, two years. But yeah. so over that time, you've built this incredible awareness of. Mm-hmm rub the face of IBS, yeah. you know, through this vehicle, real talk. And as you say, you, you probably can't point to one single thing that created a, a sale, but there are these benchmarks that you, I'm sure, can yeah. look at, which any of your viewers can do for their businesses. Yeah. Some of those benchmarks, by just look at web traffic. Yeah. In unique users per month, there's a good one. The other one that's really good to use is number of inbound sales inquiries. You know what yes. most people are getting... Five a month, five a week, five a day, whatever the number is. Yep. Just write that baseline number and then try something out and then see what happens. Yeah, Because that's probably when the first reactions are going to happen. It's going to happen on your website. On their website and also when uh, salespeople prospect. Right. They saw content. We saw content that something with IBS or something on it. These are things that you build brand because every company should build that brand. You know, they should have a, again, a, a, a face of their video side or the face of process that it yep. also builds up because they're the new generation of how we go to market or how content is that people or if people consume information is all digital. The video is very powerful today than more yep. than ever because consumer driven social apps have pushed B2B to be that way because we're just sometimes a 30 second clip, that one minute clip, and we're in tune to it. You know, the, as I said, the TikTok effect in the world has completely revolutionized the world oh. of instant gratification through video. Yeah. And yeah, it's changed the market. I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole over there, but it also bleeds into B2B because our mindsets get that way. So we kind of want to learn information quickly and it's fed to us instantly. Well, speaking of the, yeah. uh, of the consumer bleeding into B2B, yeah. remind me when we get to the end, talk about the metaverse a little bit because oh, I've, got a, I've we'll got go down a, there. Yeah. I've got a theory <laughs> but I want to go back to what you yeah. said about salespeople because yeah. this is another trend that where I've seen a distinct change in the last mm-hmm. 18 months and I refer to it as the rise of the application engineer okay and and it's a little bit scary if you're a salesperson mm-hmm. but not really because mm-hmm. it's really the rise of the application engineer versus the salesperson as who's having the conversation with the customer. And I've seen a trend here amongst half a dozen clients, and it's all been driven by Zoom, so it's all been driven by the pandemic, where the primary face of the customer of the company in front of the customer is becoming the application engineer, either not the salesperson mm-hmm. or with the salesperson. So visualize this. I, I wish I we did, did slides and I can send them to you if you mm-hmm. want. Pre-pandemic. Here's how the relationship, how's the communication happen between the component manufacturer and the customer. Mm-hmm. Salesperson gets on a plane, flies to City X, visits the customer, explores the opportunity, gets information, flies back, talks to the application engineering team. They kind of try to work out a solution. And really, it's linear. It's 
application engineer here, salesperson here, customer engineer here, right? Yeah. And visualize that. Zoom comes along and that linear structure now becomes a circle because yeah. now the application engineer is in the same Zoom meeting as the salesperson and the customer engineer. So I think that has been the, the impetus for this. And we're seeing clients now foster that opportunity where I want the application engineer in the meeting with the customer either as much as possible or some CEOs have demanded all the time. And so the role of the salesperson is changing in this. And I've spoken to some salespeople and they're a little worried about it. I don't think they need to be worried. I think they should be applauding it because really what it allows them to do is bring more ammunition to the meeting, get to the purchase order faster, solve the customer's problem faster, just guide the process. You don't have to be the person that's relaying this information old style, I would say, in that linear fashion. So application engineers are getting put into the trench now with the customer. But of course, I, I call this the disk connect. You know the personality yes. testing system, DISC. So salespeople are usually high DIs. Engineers are usually high Ss and Cs. So I call it the disk connect because they're two completely different sets of people. You put an engineer in a room with an engineer, they're going to talk turkey pretty fast. They're going to go straight into how to solve the problem. And the salesperson really needs to just kind of stand back a little bit and just let it take shape. So that's a distinct trend that's come out of this, which I'm seeing more and more uh, manufacturers take advantage of. And it's a good thing. I agree 100% because from my traveling, it's funny as you put into perspective now because I never even thought about it that way. And I'm actually, we'll get to how, what I've been doing currently, but say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was to travel to Asia a lot. The, this, the supply chain distribution manufacturing rep, is, it's different structure there. Mm. They have a lot of agents and, um, and they have agents that are re- called reps that are reps, but the agents also can do distribution, but then there's massive, distri- there's, there's big distributors. So the rep, there's not a lot of reps in Asia. So it's a different structure they have. But overall, when the, these, say the reps or the agents come to our office to sell a certain product or try to introduce a product to us or whatever we want to do, they would always come in with an engineer. They always come with the huh. FAE. The FAE is always with them. The salesperson will come in, prospects. The salesperson gets a prospect, comes in, brings the FAE. And 80 to 90% of the conversation, if it's engineered, it's all driven by the FAE. Interesting. And it's all driven for the, pro- especially if you're designing a product, going into yep. it, the prospect, again, the salesperson opens up the door. And in my opinion, this is a real analogy, and yeah. lets the engineer walk in to present it, to be able to gain more, again, ask questions, open opportunity, because they use them as a weapon. It's all used as a weapon because it can create opportunity they've never known before because a salesperson might have one opportunity. But this engineer, as the weapon come in, and understands what's going on and can present the component. They become the salesperson of the product. Yeah. And they say, you know what? Oh, we also have these product lines that can fit these needs or solve these needs. And they can come out, one opportunity can turn into five on one project because of using the collaborating off of that, of the strategy that was due. And it's, it's interesting that in Asia, a lot of South, between China and Southeast Asia, this is traditional. And you, you're talking pre-pandemic now, This Rob, is right? pre-pandemic. You're not talking about I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about the last two years. I'm talking about pre-pandemic because I couldn't travel to Asia. And as well as um, India. India is another, I would say, dynamic market yeah. itself because everybody's an engineer. Right. Everybody's an engineer. So when you, you don't hire salespeople, you hire engineering salespeople. Mm. everybody you can't because everything's designed in they don't come to product if you need to go talk technical 
they won't talk to you if you don't know tech because this is a useless. You can't be prospect. Okay, what I, here's my product. Right. Okay, here's all my questions. They're like, I don't know what to do because everybody's technical. Well, you know that saying, Rob, you put two engineers in a room, you'll get 10 solutions. Yeah, there right. it is, you know, and that's what really happens. And India, actually, as I say, is, is that because all our, all our team in India who are sales are engineers. They have to have an engineering background. Mm -hmm. They have to have the knowledge. Yes, there's some application based, some basic components. There are more in depth, but they understand the language, the lingo, and understand the opportunity mm -hmm. and what the function is because also they have to relate back to the principle. The principles aren't as involved as much as they are sometimes here to get involved because sometimes the principles will send an FAE as well to help or now today it's much more virtual. But that's really the, the market that was interesting in Asia compared to the state where now here, as you're seeing, yep. it's moving to that, that moving from that traditional just sales person involved and then bringing in the engineer at the, you know, maybe at halfway through the process, not right. at, at, at first entry. Right. Right. So now you're seeing the model has shifted and it's evolved because also the customer has different needs. The customer yep. has changed. The engineer's mentality of how they work and operate is complete because they start directly with engineering questions. They don't, the relationship isn't so much there. It's like, okay, I have a problem to solve. Well, the other yeah. aspect of this to think about is your typical, if there is such a thing, design engineer these days. He's a master of many mini projects you know he's not really focused on just one particular okay. thing typically yeah. okay so he's got to manage a lot of problems so if you look at suppliers as the solvers of all of those problems that the design engineer is trying to work on then your application engineer sort of really does need to become the face of the company and what we're seeing now is a number of companies offer up the the time and the resource and the skills of their application engineering team as a marketing campaign to get the conversation going with yeah. the customer. The application engineers, you'll see them if you look at some electrics campaigns. You'll see real people in the marketing campaigns like almost, almost saying like, this guy, this lady is available if you want to solve um, – a resistive technology problem, a switch problem, a connector problem. We can custom design. We can do added value. All of this, they're actually featured in the campaigns. That's you know because before there was just a they were background people. background people and right. there were just you know uh, their shots they bought you know they used images they just use images of someone that's a business. But now you're right because the human interaction and of like you know is much more powerful than mm. just advertising off just that commercial base. Oh you know this is, so everything. In my opinion, the dynamic has shifted. The world is changing of how interaction works mm -hmm. and how services are rendered and given. Of course, going into software, because I want to talk about this, we're getting into this, is that journey of engineering, the journey of the rep, the journey of the FAU, whoever it is, software now can allow us to be much more organized than ever. Because like for myself, our CRM system, we've built a pipeline that we can build the journey through data points. Yeah. That, well, of course, there has to be an input but there's a journey of the product, right? We go into a product for design. You know, we have the we have the prospect, we have the meeting, we go through the process and what it is to create opportunities. But at that end is that data is allowing us to make better decisions and also have visibility to the whole team to discuss, hey, this is what we're providing. This is what we saw. Oh, whoa, we can do this and this. So you can actually have a collaboration, a brainstorm of not just the FAE that's there or just of the whole pool of FAEs or the or your team that you might have more than one that can 
solve a problem for the customer kind of indirectly right. because everything's visible. You can have meetings. Well, it goes back to the, the Microsoft Teams yeah. real-time thread that I was Correct. talking about at the very Correct. beginning. Exactly. That, that's a perfect example yeah. of it. You know, have them be connected in real time. They can talk whenever they want. They're collecting and saving the pieces of the final solution. It's all there. I mean, I know you, you and I have shared you're making a big investment in marketing technology yeah. right, right now, right? And the journey of our technology through, again, everybody talks about ERP, ERP, but there's, it's not just ERP anymore because everybody has a system that's transaction-based or inventory management, but pro, in, in finance, all this. Yeah, I think it's what you do with it. Yeah, it's right? what you do with it, but the ERP is just one piece of the puzzle now. You have to build a tech stack. Tech right. stack is, are you present? You have online presence through, uh, you have a, you have online website. Do you have an e-commerce side of that? Mm -hmm. Do you have a product information management system, which is the PIM, which is much more important because PIM has really been used more in the, I would say, consumer world where PIM is very, but now in the electronics world because we have an infinite amount of part numbers. I mean, there's right. billion SKUs. There is so much data out there. Is how can we always have all that proper information fed to us and put into the system? How can you have it clean and updated? How do we do it without having... 10, 20, 30, 50 people just updating and data, data every, day, yeah. every day. That sounds like a blockchain thing to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. How do we update data? Because before we said the EDI systems and all this, but now with the technology, now we move to everything's app-based, API-based. Right. We're able to build infrastructure, technology, of course, into the cloud because compute has got much, the cost of compute for scalability has got much less. So you can store it in high-powered compute fashion with applications and building a platform. So for myself, I'm building a desk, my platform. Uh, upon this platform, we're building technology mm -hmm. to be able to communicate with each other to eliminate touch points. Yep. Touch points of human interaction, which can cause error. The number one thing is we want to reduce the amount of error. Error is what causes everything for bad data. It's garbage in, it's garbage out. You know, Always. It, that's that's the, the process. of. So for us, what we're, we are doing is building a platform that can reduce the amount of error, the touch points. But again, it's funny as I can take this back is I can have the most fanciest system. There's two things. You can build the system, but you also have to change a culture. People don't realize you can you can have Very the role you can have the Rolls Royce of Rolls Royce, but if you don't know how to really drive the thing or how to use its features, it's useless, really. Or worse, if you have a team that's resistant to the change in technology, that's, that's sometimes even worse than the training. If they're not on board before you make the investment, you're Better rethinking. And that's the biggest challenge I think a lot of companies have. Even we have internally in our in our global operations, there's a lot of people are risen. If it doesn't work, let's not, you know, don't right now because business is good for everybody. As mm. we say, business is good for everybody. Right now. You know, but it is. I mean, it's not good. It's challenging at the same time. There's a lot of challenges in right now in, in the supply chain and components that business is, is. But during this time, we have to invest. We have to build infrastructure for the future that will reap rewards when business also causes a downturn. So that data infrastructure building yep. as a tech stack, we're trying to build a process where we can remove the human inter interference of all those points of the customer journey. So I will give you a quick explanation. It's like our website. We build a website, request a quote. Request mm -hmm. a quote comes in, it goes to yep. a salesperson. Yep. Salesperson's like, we don't identify this partner, but I don't know what it is. You know, it's something just come out of nowhere because some people just search us, find something. Is it our part of our catalog? Is it here? We send it to procurement, product management. Okay, oh, we do have this. This is part of our catalog. So we go for the sourcing, goes for the pricing, gets back. But this partner is actually not in our system, right? And it goes through this journey. So then it goes back to the salesperson, salesperson quotes it through the system um, and then gives it to the, to the, uh, to the, Client, customer. client says, oh, yep. customer, PO comes in. Yep. But all these points right now are manual, right? Most customers do this really manually. Quote comes in, then 
maybe it forms an email form. That email then is forwarded through a CRM system or whatever system they use, forwarded to the salesperson. Salesperson goes, can put in a CRM system or can work out of their email, can work out of whatever it is and it's sent to the buyer. And, and unfortunately, the, the every human manager, touch point is, a, is an it, opportunity our, for error. Error, right? right? So all these have errors and the data is not clean because you can, you know, it's not, there's not formulas, things to fill out. So all, my whole goal is to automate this process. So, and the challenge, the biggest challenge too for a company that has a lot of data is how do you make sure that say the part number, because for us, we're very part number heavy, everything, product description, product, EA, COO, all this information, right. where is it made is very important today, right. very important than ever. Where does this data come from? How does it get into our system? So now, fortunately, the world, there's a lot of, I would say, data warehouses that mm -hmm. you can actually get data to connect through API that can do it. So before we can put out, say, 100 quotes, but maybe 50 of those are not even in our system yet. We haven't transacted yet with those. So they're not in your ERP system. So if we want to do it manually, if we have 50 POs, we have to have somebody manually enter every single one of those into the system. And that's a huge labor bill. That's a huge labor. It's a lot of cost, and it can create error. And a big error bill. A big yes. error bill, right? Create yeah. error, because if one nomenclature is wrong, if something is wrong, if a prefix, and sometimes the prefix and suffix, the suffix is off of some customers is different than others. It could be a T slash R, like tape and reel, or a TR. I mean, these simple things right. that can also cause on the customer side, like, oh, this is not what we ordered because this is robot. This is the same part. So you want to kind of match all of that. And how do you match in the system? So if we could automate that system, that once that that PO comes in and that, we, that quotation turns into a sales order, we can push that sales order into ERP system. At the same time, our PIM can push the right product information into mm -hmm. our ERP system and populate it to be there. And at that point, there is a human interaction, this approve or disapprove that this is correct because it's not autonomous. Right. There are going to be touch points of humans to come in there to approve, but it's not about putting in data. It's about double checking this is approved and yes, click, okay, shot through. And how long do you think this project is going to take for IBS? Rob? We've been in it for a year now. How, how much time I think you think you get to a point where you've got something you're ready to roll with. I give the worst case end of 2022, best okay. case in the uh, middle of next middle right. of 2022. But I always prepare for the worst because we know how people have done, inter, in, pro, especially doing it globally, releasing the stuff globally. Yep. There are pitfalls, there are challenges, there are issues um, that can arise very costly. But again, we learn through this process because again, some of the things that be investment means doesn't mean you're going to instant ROI. There could be failures in the investment. Sometimes sure. in, in today's world, you have to have, don't have fear to pull the plug. Sometimes like, you know, we went down this home, we spent all this money, but this is not going to get us there. I've done it. It's horrible. It's horrible. When you do it. And, but that's that, smart when you know you've got to recognize it. And then that investment you learned a lesson and you learned what the right formula is. Yeah. This is not going to work because there's tools out there that we've chosen that have we spent a lot of money and like, Shh. and they're like, you know, but I'll take full responsibility for it. I did choose it. We tried to imply it. It's not going to work. Right. But that, I think that humility, take over that humility again, say, okay, this is not going to work, but we'll shift it. We learn from our mistakes. We're going to grow forward. And this day and age, everything's dynamic, right? You got to try. Yeah. You got to try. And we have and, to be dynamic to it. You know, and interestingly, you're not on your own in this Q4 of 2021. Um, we're seeing a big trend here. This is probably the, of the trends I'm talking about today, the largest one I would say is the huge investment in marketing and specifically marketing technology. Um, very different from even six months ago. So there's a lot of people in, in the industry doing exactly what mm -hmm. you're doing. 
understanding that this is going to take time, this is going to cost money. But the current circumstances of the marketplace are what's driving it. This big spike in demand. You know, we have clients reporting 49% bookings year over year, 72% bookings year over year. I've never seen numbers like that. I don't think any of us have. But a bunch of companies now are saying, okay, hold on a second. We're sitting on revenue that we've never seen before. We're always saying we can't afford to do stuff. Let's take this time. Mm-hmm. Let's do the marketing investment or the ERP investment or hopefully a combination of the two. Let's build something that's going to give us a three to five year really good return on it. Um, and the other really interesting switch in the marketing, and this has all been in the last six months, I would say, as companies come to the realization that this is a great opportunity to do something. The switch has been from what I would just call lead generation marketing. So where the company goals are, you know, get me as many sales leads as you can, as quick as you can. That's kind of ground to a stop in many, many cases. And companies saying, I don't need leads. I can barely fulfill the business that we're quoting right now. What I really want to do is make a long-term marketing investment in strategy. So thankfully, that's electrics. Like, help us figure out what is what does a three-year marketing plan look like? Some of these companies have never had a three-year marketing plan. Um, what technology do we need to put in place that's going to support a sales team that's growing, an inside sales team that's growing, um, that can interface with our reps, that can interface with our distributors. What do we need to kind of get this figured out once and for all, or at least for that something give, would have a three to five year life? So I'm seeing a lot of money going into that type of investment, long term strategy, long term marketing tech, and a lot less of the lead stuff. And all and all of that has to do with two things. Is also is how do we we have a shortage of skill set and manpower in a lot of companies, right? Mm-hmm. And it's to try to um, automate processes to because we just don't have enough talent. We can't get it in this inflation process sometimes. So we can, it, unfortunately, say technology can replace some human interaction processes. Of course, the human to human you can never replace with a machine. But there are processes internally that you could automate or you could build in technology that can help the process and give you better because, again, a, a machine or a computer. Because today there's a lot of machine learning. There's a lot of process. Your phone mm-hmm is intuitive. Your phone learns your behavior. Your phone listens to you. Your phone feeds you information. I've noticed some interesting things in the last uh, 48 hours traveling here with, uh, you know, hotel bookings appearing on my phone calendar and things like that. It's all happening. So all of this is anticipates, right? Anticipation. So this technology they're investing is for the future, the process, but it is a two, three year road. You can't have it now. And of course, through the process, we learn, as I said, we've been in it a year. Why? Because we learn through the process. There's some things more we need. Because we start with some, what our goal is. Like we get that, like, we can't launch this next year because this is our constraint. But realize that technology is moving so fast, mm. so fast. And, and the, the hardware is kept, and the softwares are there, the hardware. But again, the, the problem is it's just like all this investment that's happening needs infrastructure. So we're in the business of supplying the hardware into the infrastructure to build those warehouses, data warehouses, cloud management, compute, or IoT connected devices right. that we can use. And that's why the demand is there because there is a lot of companies are a lot of cash out there and people want to invest for the future because the future is not as uncertain, but they want to make sure that there's efficiencies in play when there was a downturn that they can cope with it. They can cope with 
any type of and also a business continuity plan. Yep. That's something we forgot to mention is the pandemic is we went into a pandemic with not a lot of people had BCP plans. They didn't even realize what a BCP plan is, a business continuity plan. They didn't yep. have it in play. If we lost internet, we can't travel, we lost a warehouse, there was a freeze, there was a fire, there was a process. These are things that I think people forget about that, that during the pandemic, we had a lot of other environmental and things that happened right. in the world. And, and yeah. would, the, would those plans have worked anyway? Because I don't think we could have foreseen this. Yeah, but. and now everybody knows that we have to have backup plans. We have to have infrastructure to help back it up. We have, to have data warehouses. We have to have uh, redundant um, um, where, you know, redundant warehouses, processes, and systems that if we need to go remote, we can, and we can as I said, this is before in 2018, when we transferred to the Microsoft platforms, um, if we can't answer or touch 90% of the things on our phones or devices by hand, we're going to be behind. No that, question. And that's the number one thing is no this effect that everybody wants it now. So from marketing aspect, what you do from the sales side, what we get into, everything has to improve the speed. And the only way we do that is by data. It's yep. by data. Yeah. In this industry, it's, it's what we thrive upon. Um, but just to finish up, I said yeah. I would uh, mention a bit of a a bit of a let's bet go. I've got let's on go the future. There. Let's go right? there. So you were just talking about you know the speed of technological yeah. change, the amount of investment that's pouring in. Did you see the article a month ago after Facebook renamed themselves yeah, Meta? Meta? Yeah. I forget the number. Was it eight billion or eighty billion that mm -hmm. they're going to invest in Europe in building the metaverse? Mm -hmm. um, I forget the number. It doesn't yeah. matter. We know it's yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's a, here's a little prediction I have is that I think one of the next big tech changes in sales and marketing in our industry will be the metaverse. Because if you think about it, okay, um, we've figured out in the last two years that one of the most successful strategies is to create collaboration between engineers. Mm -hmm. Okay, salespeople will be involved in that, but they won't be the intermediary. They'll be involved in it. Okay. So imagine you can create a metaverse environment where you have your design engineer customer and multiple supplier FAEs mm -hmm. bringing their expertise, working together real time in a metaverse environment, designing everything that's on the board, mm -hmm. everything that's in the device. And of course, now with a headset, you're seeing it in 3D, not 2D. And you know, most of what we design <laughs> is absolutely 3D and most of the components that our friends sell are micro. They're this yeah. small. You're trying to understand, well, what is it in that component that actually is going to help me do something good? If you could blow it up to, you know, something that appears to be the size of a soccer ball, you can have greater understanding of all the benefits of it. So I'm seeing in the future... Um, and I'll leave it there right now, is that there will be a metaverse environment, a design engineering environment between customer engineers and FAEs. I, uh, I agree, and I'm a little biased on that because of the Omniverse, which now is NVIDIA. Okay. So why, I mean, NVIDIA, again, if you don't know, NVIDIA was one of the first to even say the metaverse. But, of course, you know, Facebook came out, says we're going to build this metaverse and this. But their marketing scheme and their plan was all about consumer and building an environment to visit animals and kids and things right. like this, right? Yep. But if you go into NVIDIA's platform, and now they call it the Omniverse, which is part of the metaverse, they're building a platform to do simulation. 
Ah, okay. Right? So I learned something today. To do simulation of processes, building smart cities, process infrastructure, bridges, and they can quantify, run algorithms in smart cities of the product and engineering they're doing to make sure this calculated for the risk, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The risk where they're doing. So that comes to your engineering side. Okay. Building components, building engineering, building products and gadgets in this world, in this omniverse, metaverse, in this in this world that they can quantify the results much faster with using, again, it's machine learning too because it's high output. I mean, people don't realize that they're, the compute, when you're doing one petaflop, now it's one petaflop, it's nothing. You're going to do, I don't even know how to get to how many zeros you're going to go into that point, but <laughs> how many transactions per second to run algorithms. It's not just about infrastructure, it's about science. It's about life and what they can do to change the, our world we live in, of course, it is a little scary because it is, it's a I was just going to say it's a little scary to think what it might be, and that's where when the Facebook came out and like that, that world is scary to me because that comes into because of course Nvidia is a gaming company that turned into a platform that's just not about it's they've changed revolutionized. Jensen has his vision is unbelievable um, for that point, and if you guys haven't seen my podcast with the VP of AI of Nvidia. It's very fascinating where they're going. And I'm going to actually do another one with them to talk about the Omniverse and okay, what's going cool. on. But you can see that the I look at it different because I guess Facebook's marketing to the children, the people, and why we changed the meta. But NVIDIA is building the platform to really revolutionize, change the way we operate and work. So maybe they're going to be the guys to, to bring it. Yeah, I think they're industry. both they're both going to be they're both going to be in the space because yep. they're they're announcing it. But it's funny that they changed their name to a very generic term that was just used by everybody. But they yep. changed their name to it to have that kind of IP. So now other companies kind of when you use right. it, they have to license it off of them. And remember, some of these environments yeah. are you know fully immersive, 180 degrees. I saw that um, Nreal brought out a set of glasses yesterday that yeah. they're selling through Verizon for about 600 bucks. That's only 52 degrees so it's sort of more of an augmented reality it's a little less scary because you still have uh, an, an awareness of the, of the rest of the world around you it's just more for for, for a tool and they yeah. actually talk there about it be, to be used in in applications not just for entertainment yeah because facebook bought uh, oculus i think 2015 or yeah. 14 15 right. which is palmer lucky a genius. I mean, I think he's actually has Andrea. They're building a headquarters here down the street for defense, like drone defense. Crazy. Oh, I mean, right. he's a. Um, but they bought that. That's what the start of the metaverse started when they bought Oculus to be able to that three dimensional world, and that's why they have the platform. They have the people, and they have a kind of a head start just from that virtual world because they've they've built it. But it is. I don't know if you've ever played in it. It's fun for about 10, 15 minutes, but it's not something that I don't know you live in because you lose kind of the sense of, of, of yourself kind of in it. Because also, if you get put it on there, like you don't know where you are. You don't know the weight. Your equilibrium shifts. You change, you know. And the scary, there is there's negatives to it, but there's also positives that the, that world will help us be greater in planning and science and right. in technology than mm-hmm. ever. So maybe it'll all start maybe, right maybe, here in Santa Ana, maybe California. Next time, yeah, maybe next down time we're doing from this. IBS. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe next time we have one of these podcasts, <laughs> we'll be in a, a metaverse uh, having a live uh, yeah, through collaboration. A Who knows, Rob? Well, very good. I mean, we can get into down rabbit holes for everything. But, you know, I'm really happy that you came here. Thank you for coming from the East Coast. Pleasure, Thank you for friend. coming in. It's been great having you. have been discussing it. We can, I know me and you can keep going and going, but right. we have time is, we have, well, we all have meetings. You're here for a purpose, but I'm happy you're here to Thanks. visit me, to see me, to come on The Real Talk, share your thought leadership, your knowledge, Wouldn't and awareness have it for the industry. world. And uh, yeah, and I'd love to, I uh, guess we see you. Gonna, am I going to see you in uh, Texas? 
Yep, we'll be at ERAing okay. in Austin, Texas okay. in February. Look forward to meeting lots of missed friends. I hope I'm probably bringing this whole setup over there. We look like we're going to set some things up so no one. That's yeah. Let's do it again. Things. We're going to do some uh, fun stuff as uh, as ERAing. Like we set up like <laughs> college football. Everybody yeah. come in and exactly. uh, <laughs> have some fun. But I appreciate it. Well, thank, it. Thanks again, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. Great to be here.